0: is an island. He has is, uh, gone bananas. Um, this is incredible. need no stinking badges. This guy asserts executive privilege for six years, and now uh, he's trying to claim that he's not part of the executive branch. He's part of the legislative branch. This is absolutely incredible. So I hope this little cat fight continues. I'd love to see them cut off funding to the VP's office and make Dick Cheney Raise his money privately from clean coal. Oh, yes. Clean coal. You got to love that phrase. That's an oxymoron, part of the recent debate on the energy bill. And uh, watch your wallet. <laughs> That's all I can say. Because some of these solutions that uh, are being concocted for our ener- future energy uh, needs, and we have them. I mean, the country is growing. Uh, there are more electronic gizmos than ever, and uh, we need more power. Uh, that is indisputable. Indeed, uh, the power industry, according to an article that I read uh, way back in uh, several months ago, and this is an article specifically about the skepticism regarding clean coal, notes that uh, the power companies are planning 150 coal plants, to meet growing electricity needs uh, in, uh, you know, upcoming years here. So there's a big debate about the technical feasibility of various coal issues, and clean coal is now being uh, advocated by some as a possible fuel to replace gasoline. Uh, And by the way, uh, clean coal produces diesel, so diesel... uh, (coughs) air uh, particles uh, create uh, some other problems um, that really need to be publicly debated in a clean fashion, but uh, who knows what will happen. Obviously, there's some good that came out of the uh, focus on renewable energies. Obviously, the Democrats are a little more committed to that uh, notion uh, as the various amendments have uh, come down the pike. But one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about tonight, we can talk about clean coal in the future, because obviously coal is going to be part of the future equation of America. And this is a brilliant little essay, a review of some books in the June 28th edition of the New York Review of Books, by Tim Flannery, who turns out to be a Australian scientist. I just wanted to note his uh, latest book, because I think it's probably an interesting one. It says he's a professor at uh, Macquarie uh, University in Sydney, and his latest book is Weathermakers, How Man is Changing the Climate and What It Means for Life on Earth. He has a brilliant uh, article in uh, this uh, New York Review of Books, the 28th of June edition, called We Are Living on Corn, uh, to which I would say, we are corn.
1: Put corn in your ears, America. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Um, And it's uh, just a fascinating analysis of um, the corn industry here in America, which is uh, highly subsidized. And uh, to me, what was illuminating were the uh, incredible number of products that uh, have corn in them that we don't even know about. Corn syrup,
1: corn sugars, corn starch.
0: Yes, modified corn syrup. And uh, at one point, he even uh, notes that it's in Gatorade, ring dings, and of course, hamburgers uh, have their beginning with corn. He goes on to the details of how uh, there are 45,000-odd items in the American supermarkets. More than one quarter contain corn, disposable diapers, trash bags, toothpaste, charcoal briquettes, matches, batteries. And even the shine on the cover of magazines all contain corn. In America, all meat is ultimately corn. Chicken, turkeys, pigs, and even cows, which would be far healthier and happier eating grass, are forced into eating corn, as are increasingly carnivores, such as salmon. (laughs) So that farm-raised salmon... Aquaculture, yeah. Yeah, has corn in it. He goes on to write, Iowa State estimates that it costs $2.50 to grow a bushel of Iowa corn. Bowen Pollen, who is a uh, writer of one of the books that he's analyzing here, The Omnivore's Dilemma, A Natural History of Four Meals, um, visited in October 2005. The grain elevators were paying farmers $1.45 a bushel. The only reason that it survives is the federal government gives farmers substantial subsidies. Federal payments, according, account for, quote, uh, nearly half the income of the average Iowa corn farmer and represent uh, roughly $19 billion uh, that U.S. taxpayers spend each year on payments to corn. Of course, then it goes into some of the devastating uh, agricultural consequences of growing corn. And this is another interesting little paragraph, and I guess I'll end it here and uh, recommend that you uh, check this article out. But he uh, reports, corn, of course, is used for many purposes apart from feeding factory farm chickens, cattle, and pigs. High fructose corn syrup, for example, has replaced sugar in many processed foods and beverages and is now, according to Pollen, the most valuable food product refined from corn, accounting for 530 million bushels every year. So it is a uh, fascinating uh, analysis. We are living on corn, and we are corn.
1: Well, growing up in Jackson on the north side of town, uh, my dad had a house that was actually surrounded on three sides by cornfields. These were field cornfields. And not the delicious sweet corn that, of course, is uh, so tasty as a summertime treat, but basically staple crops for you know cattle, livestock, etc. And uh, I can tell you just from that uh, firsthand experience, as well as in addition to some reading I've done on the subject, that, and I'm sure your article goes into it in, in uh, detail, uh, how water-needy corn is as a crop, how heavily sprayed it is, how many nutrients it sucks out of the soil, um, thus requiring extra sprays of fertilizers, petrochemical growth enhancers, and all these sorts of things. Um, And organophosphates, which, of course,
0: as we've pointed out uh, before on this show, 80% of the water uh, in the continental United States ends up in the Mississippi River, which, of course, ends up in the Gulf of Mexico.
1: So there are no uh, short... Streams there in this uh, process of uh, chemical additions to the uh, agricultural cycle. Uh, the idea that biofuel is feasible as uh, something with which our nation can run itself is somewhat ludicrous, um, especially when you consider the you know moral dilemma of uh, converting uh, agricultural uh, resources for industrial purposes rather than for food uh, growth when there are food shortages in the world. This is from the recent Harper's Magazine. Experts warn that recent biofuels trend could lead to increased food prices and deforestation, and the United States Department of Agriculture said that U.S. farmers might have a hard time meeting food demands because of the growing biofuels market. Yeah, and
0: of course, this is being sold, the, the, uh, the ethanol uh, concept is being sold as an alternative to, quote, uh, foreign oil. Uh, they, of course, usually focus on Mideast oil. Right. It's important to remember that America gets about 21 to 25 percent of their oil from the Mideast, uh, mainly Saudi Arabia. Uh, fortunately for us, we our three main suppliers are actually Canada, Mexico, and Venezuela. But there is increasing analysis about some of the problems even with the efficiency of ethanol as a fuel. Mm-hmm uh this uh, whole movement picked up steam <laughs> I think James Watt here <laughs> kilowatt um because of the uh, the fact that Brazil um has very effectively used ethanol mm-hmm. uh in their economy but it's important to remember that Brazil is using sugarcane and sugarcane actually produces three crops per year it's a very quick-growing substance, and it's uh, apparently as an ethanol fuel far more efficient, maybe if we would end our embargo against Cuba, <laughs> uh, we could start importing sugarcane uh, just 90 miles away. But that doesn't seem to be in the works, and it's also important to remember that I've heard some auto analysts point out that even ethanol as a fuel in your car will actually reduce your mileage per gallon. Mm-hmm. Uh, between 15 and 20 percent so you're actually going to a- end up buying more more yeah. ethanol than gasoline so uh, this problem needs to be uh, addressed uh, more substantively than it is uh, it's unfortunate that uh, the energy debate is really about uh, i don't know what to call it it's sort of soundbite politics unfortunately and of course one of the bad things about energy, uh, the energy debate, is uh, regional interests sometimes mm-hmm. uh,
1: win out over the national interest. Well, take it back to Dick Cheney and the uh, rolling brownouts and blackouts in California some years back. Yeah. That's exactly what that was about, speculation in trading and anticipating where demand is going to be highest and supply shortest so that you can maximize your profits.
0: And a a specific effort, by the way, politically, to derail Gray Davis, who was at the time viewed as a a leading Democratic contender for the 2004 presidential nomination. I wanted to quickly add in this review, we're living on corn uh, in the uh, June 28th edition of the uh, New York Review of Books. Another little interesting paragraph, because he uh, reviews a... uh, a book uh, by Bill McKibben, who's a fairly well-known ecologist type, who writes, uh, his book is entitled Deep Economy, the Wealth of Communities and the Durable Future. And in it, he uh, specifically talks about a, uh, you know, the the Walmart uh, dysfunction, and I just wanted to quote this one paragraph that I f- found fascinating about uh, Walmart in Iowa, Um The uh, author, Tim Flannery, uh, writes, The dysfunction comes, and this is uh, talking about Walmart, with the increasing scale and is revealed adroitly when he investigates the impact of Walmart upon the economic health of communities. By now, the sequence is depressingly clear clear. The big box stores by the interstate drains the life out of downtown, shuttering businesses left and right. In the few years uh, when Walmart was expanding fastest in Iowa, the state lost 555 grocery stores, 298 hardware stores, 293 building supply stores, 161 variety shops, and 158 women's clothing stores, and 116 pharmacies. So this is the economic impact of Walmart, and of course these Issues are sort of connected. The subsidization of corn here in America is, of course, forcing small-scale corn farmers in Mexico um, to come to the United States looking for jobs. It's connected to the immigration problem. And, of course, the growth of Walmart, uh, they are uh, account for some staggering statistic involving the trade deficit with China, uh, of course, also contributes to the Uh, loss as this uh, as mckibben points out in his book uh, local stores in local communities you think of Iowa as these sort of little corn pone uh, towns where uh, you know you can go down to the main street and walk around and get what you need right there uh, from your neighbors and of course that keeps the uh, money in the local economy if you go shop at walmart That money ends up uh, getting transferred to the Walton family, unfortunately, because they play they pay uh, terrible wages. Um, They're directly responsible for huge increases in uh, Medicaid uh, expenses in various states, uh, because many Walmart workers end up uh, having, uh, you know, their children and, of course, even uh, spouses uh, treated at uh, ER uh, hospitals under the Medicaid system. And, of course, at the end of the day, we're exporting um, small-scale uh, jobs here in America to China, which uh, further exacerbates the uh, immigration problem as it's related to Mexico. Right. So these things are connected. And I highly recommend this uh, article. And, of course, this doesn't really go into the uh, very troubling um, impact of corn and these food-related products. As we pointed out, there's... Uh, Forty-five thousand odd items in American supermarkets
1: containing corn, but as it relates to the diet, and well, yeah, that we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. How the cor- the medical experts have shown now for a number of years that the corn sugars are uh, particularly bad health wise. Yeah, and this you know rapid increase of especially childhood obesity, which you just didn't see back in right. the sixties and the seventies. No. Um children were perhaps slightly more active then. I think it's somewhat overstated the idea that kids today just sit around and play video games all day. I don't think that's true. But you do see more heavy kids and heavier heavy kids than you used to in the 60s and the 70s. And that's because industry has shifted mm -hmm. the resources that they're using to make these universe of snack products
0: And, of course, the explosion of uh, type 2 diabetes amongst children under 10 is unbelievable, Uh, and it's frightening. So uh, we're living on corn. We are corn. Uh, You know, examine those food items closely uh, when you go grocery shopping.
1: Indeed. And to relate another item that is, in fact, connected because this whole energy... um, Industry circuit drives the uh, world economy. Interesting article, uh, something to watch out for uh, in future months here. Today's Financial Times has an interesting article about a pipeline linking Russia and Europe for fuel, for petrochemicals. Um, A pipeline would uh, run from southern Russia, 900 kilometers under the Black Sea, to Bulgaria, where it could take either or both of two routes. 1,000 kilometers to Greece from where the gas could go on to Italy. Italy is involved in the uh, project as a joint venture with Russia. Uh, Or uh, 1,300 kilometers north into the central European gas market. It's estimated that this pipeline will take three years to build, um, 18 months uh, in the planning process, which is going on right now. That has real potential implications for the war over petroleum oil in Southwest Asia. Uh, Russia has huge, vast resources, huge tracts of land, of course, as we all know, but also vast natural resources with regards to gas and access to that gas. Um, Of course, uh, gas is increasingly uh, traded in euros and not dollars exclusively anymore. So as Russia and Europe potentially strengthen themselves from an energy perspective, America still continues to flounder directionless.
0: Which sounds a lot like uh, our military uh, policy in Iraq. Indeed. Real quickly on the uh, obesity issue. Uh, just as a follow-up to what we were previously talking about, just a fascinating little item from uh, the uh, June Harper's Index. It says, the number of 16 states of the South where more than 25% of adults are clinically obese, 12. Number of other states where this is true, 5. Number of states in 1990 and 2005, respectively, where more than 14% were clinically obese, zero in 1990, 50 in
1: 2005. Wow.
0: That is a very, very telling statistic about the impact of continuing uh, to subsidize corn and not broccoli
1: or bok choy. (laughs) Or tofu. Or tofu. In fact, interestingly, speaking of tofu, the the one crop that the uh, farmers who surrounded my dad's house would rotate with was uh, soybeans because, of course, soybeans are a crop which are good for the soil. They return nutrients into the soil, nitrogens and so forth, and so they can help rejuvenate a soil, um, whereas corn sucks every last nutrient out, and, and most of the corn plant, um, in some cases it's being used as an industrial byproduct, but most of it is just sort of biofiber that has very little use at all.
0: Yeah, and and it's interesting, Qu- uh, I... We used to make tofu. I don't know if people know that about me, but I used to work at a little co-op here in Ann Arbor called The Soy Plant. That was a community cooperatively run. They made
1: excellent tofu.
0: They made excellent tofu. Uh, It was a very interesting business experience, however. Uh, Cooperative management has uh, got its good sides and its bad, but uh, it was very interesting because uh, I learned back then that uh, soybeans and corn were the natural way farmers uh, rotated Mm -hmm. the soil that one year basically the plot would be devoted to corn and then the next year it would be soybeans and then vice versa Mm -hmm. because this way they could keep uh, the land sustainable and uh, keep operating but that was back in the day alas when well, uh, small family farms were uh, rapidly beginning to disappear uh, during the uh, early parts of the Reagan administration, and of course there was a uh, definite farm catastrophe in the uh, 1980s. I've always been fascinated by how the 1980s uh, had these economic regions of disaster mm-hmm. uh, while Reagan continued uh, promoting the... Uh, it's mourning in America. morning in America, city on the hill, all that baloney, and... Uh, By rotating the disasters in various regions, uh, somehow the the country never really realized that we were continuing to decline uh, in gross economic terms. At first it was the Rust Belt, then the Farm Belt, and, gee, eventually it even uh, worked its way into the uh, Southwest energy industry, um, but not into uh, Dick Cheney's uh, deep,
1: mysterious pockets deep mysterious pockets and uh maureen down's been particularly good (laughs) on his bizarre it's almost a deridian state of non-existence he's he's not here he's not there he's not in the executive he's not in the legislative where is dick cheney he's everywhere and nowhere he's ubiquitous he is a rock (laughs) he is an island oh boy (laughs) i'll save my karaoke for later (laughs) yeah uh I've been saving this one from last week I've got to do this one because this is just ridiculous and if you know Mitt Romney wasn't already silly enough um, this quote pretty much puts it over oh but he looks presidential he does indeed look presidential um, he's got the hair central uh, we should, casting they keep we saying should just, that about yeah central casting of course well, who was it uh, Ann Coulter who called uh, Jonathan Edwards the Breck candidate um, actually that was Marine Dowd was it really yeah. Okay, the, <laughs> the <interesting>. Breck girl <laughs> the Breck girl yeah
0: um, as part of the girly men concept right, that Schwarzenegger right. was
1: promoting about oh the, yeah the, yeah uh, um of course, it's to the point where we should, you know, Saturday Night Live used to have a, a gag about Elvis's coat going on tour, our presidential hair. You know, the, the way that debates are conducted in this country's political process, we may as well have the hair debate each other. Yeah, we should just um, see the back of their heads. Right. Based on these <laughs> beauty shots, <laughs> who is the most presidential? Well, in that case, Mitt Romney might indeed be uh, this nation's next leader. But... uh his willingness to sort of uh, jump into the funky boots of Teddy Roosevelt. I know it's easy for children particularly who are, you know, you want to teach children good things and positive things about American history. And Teddy Roosevelt's a larger-than-life figure and Mm -hmm. sort of an interesting fellow. Um, Deeply problematic, though, of course. you got to read about Teddy um, when you get older to find out he's, he's not all... Um, all that in a bag of chips. But um, he is, uh, his spirit is embodied here in quotes uh, uttered recently by Mitt Romney, um, who recalled the words, this from Sunday, June 17th, uh, Ann News. Romney recalled the words, uh, speaking in Iowa, as we were talking about earlier, um, about increasing the size of the military by at least 100,000 troops in Iraq and increasing the military budget. He recalled the words of President Teddy Roosevelt who said the United States should speak softly and carry a big stick in its foreign relations. Romney says this, I want to carry the big stick. Uh-oh. He told about 200 people at an event in Dubuque, Iowa, I hope I don't have to use it, but I want to make sure we have it so that people understand we are a nation of strength. If you look across the world, you can recognize that there is terror going on. <laughs> There is a worldwide effort of different people all intent on bringing down modernity and replacing it, in some respects, with barbarism. That's the quote. Um, Yeah, and guys walking around with big sticks are not doing terror things. They're doing protecting things, protecting modernity. You know, petrochemical industry, major corporations, modern stuff. Um, Of course, the article goes on to detail that the highlight of the event appears to have been when Romney's wife, Anne, gave the crowd a scare by falling a couple of inches from a platform stage.
0: Maybe she was standing on the big stick.
1: (laughs) When suddenly he began to wield it. He picked up the club and she went a-tumbling. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear a guy say that he wants to carry the big stick... He's automatically no longer eligible to be president. I mean, you don't trust the guy who wants to to wield a big stick. I don't.
0: Well, I only trust him in baseball, but uh, obviously (laughs) Romney's talking about something else there. And yeah, the big stick policy, of course, is uh, a a sort of a euphemism for (laughs) specifically American imperialism in Latin America that Teddy Roosevelt was so uh, well known for, uh, both uh, personally, you know, the charge up the San Juan Hill.
1: Which is highly dubious, and you've got to read the real story on that one, too. Um, And the creation of the country of Panama, which was basically set up by Teddy Roosevelt and about three other guys.
0: Indeed. And uh, just to give Teddy Roosevelt one big plug, though, he he was the original, um, shall we say, uh, developer of the concept of, uh, you know, C- coordinating off uh, some of our great national parks and creating the National Park Service. Something, incidentally, by the way, that's gone in complete disrepair under the this Bush administration. Yeah. It's, it's shocking when you uh, read some of the uh, consequences of the nickel and diming that the Bush administration is using uh, in managing our national parks, uh, which is part of the whole mismanagement of the Bush administration. I mean, lately there have been a lot of. Uh, Stories about the passport
1: uh, debacle, and needless to say... Lillian's uh, finally arrived, but that was only due to the good graces of uh, our congressman's office.
0: You know, Bush's uh, management uh, is just uh, remarkable, and apparently this is uh, the concept that Michael Bloomberg is using to catapult himself into the presidential ring, though. How or why he would run as an independent escapes me, Mm. because... uh, Look, dude, you're just going to be Ross Perot. You're going to that. Get, just doesn't work in this. It this doesn't stuff. work as uh, broken as our two party system is. Uh, uh, pick a party, <laughs> any party. <laughs> There's only two. Um, so if you're not a Republican, you've almost kind of said you're going to be a Democrat. I guess. And he's been a Democrat all his life. So why he's playing cat and mouse with this uh, nonsense? Uh, it escapes me. But. Uh, We'll see where that goes. By the way, there was a uh, very good uh, frontline documentary once again about the uh, situation in Iraq this past week, Endgame, uh, which basically is an analysis of the surge and uh, detailing how and why the, the, the whole uh, debacle in Iraq continues. It's fascinating this week that we have... Uh, High ranking uh, generals in the American military publicly acknowledging that the uh, Iraqis won't be ready, won't be ready, aren't ready, uh, that this so-called policy of clear, hold and build uh, (laughs) didn't work. And I think one of the great things about this documentary was it focused on the historical um, blindness that the Bush administration had about the. Uh, emerging insurgency and and all of the euphemisms that were used, you know, like uh, light footprint uh, was one of the original policies Um, together forward part two was another one Um, just fascinating and then of course the clear hold and build which uh, friendly sounding euphemisms was sort of a concept that uh, Condi Rice actually began to develop in opposition to Rumsfeld where's she been lately? who knows um she's looking weary though the last couple of times i've seen her on television <laughs> it's all this uh global trotting around the world uh, and those jet lag
1: pills that uh, had colin powell so pretty much waxy
0: doing nothing and of course the fascinating thing about this uh end game which will probably repeat itself uh, sometime this summer on frontline or they'll have an update <laughs> no doubt uh, around the middle of september when the Report is due. Uh, you can count on the fact that uh, nothing will change in September, that the war will continue, uh, according to Bush. But I thought the fa- one of the fascinating things about the uh, interview at one point was Michael Gordon, who is the military um, New York Times expert, and he, he wrote uh, c- quite a good book called Cobra 2, which uh, details the failure of the war in Iraq uh, from the military perspective perspective. At one point noted the irony that the uh and I and I found this from my other reading about you know recent analysis of the Iraq war that um Rumsfeld at the end of the day despite being this kind of publicly vilified uh villain in the Iraq war actually wanted to get out. Wa- believed in the concept of get in and get out and turn this over to the Iraqis. This is true. And that it was actually this sort of mysterious force in the White House, that it was Karl Rove, Condi Rice, Dick Cheney, and George Bush that came up with this grandiose theory that we could uh, impose uh, democracy um, to uh, on the Iraqis at the end of a bayonet uh, to use by, a...
1: By quietly building permanent military bases of our own. Yeah,
0: and, and that sort of thing. And that Rumsfeld actually, in reality, was uh, was an opponent of the clear hold and build. And at one time, he even had a press conference where he just sort of lambasted Rice for even coming up with the concept. He wanted the Iraqis to take over, uh, but it never happened uh, for various reasons. And uh, one other um, military expert on the ground, I thought had a fascinating quote about the uh, surge. He said, there is no surge. This is a trickle. And uh, his statement was unequivocal. The United States needs at least 200,000 more troops in Iraq to get the job done. So uh, he was of the opinion that uh, this uh, surge has no future, that the United States indeed will clear uh, areas. And of course, we learned this week that the uh, um, al-Qaeda people have run away from about what was it, Bakuba this uh, so-called site and uh, as he puts it, it's not a surge, it's a dribble and uh, there you have it. Um, Petraeus of course has been put in charge because he was the most successful um, shall we say, executor of the clear hold and build strategy but let's remember that he did this in the Kurdish area initially and uh, This is an area where